Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Today, my friend Jeanette Ma, my friend and colleague Jeanette Ma, she's a laws of attraction coach, and she is going to be here, and we're going to talk about inspired action. And here's the thing, whether you're into laws of attraction or not, I just invite you to listen to the show with an open mind. We, ha- She and I have different terminology in different words that we use, but we're kind of saying the same thing. And I know one, what used to happen for me is if somebody used a language I didn't really understand, even though they were speaking English, I would shut it off. And what I found is that if I can come from a place of curiosity and then even be able to put my language behind it, it makes more sense to me. So we, you're going to see, she talks about vibration. I talked about where you're rooted. So you're used to my conversations and the way, the words that I use, and you may not be used to hers, but I just invite you to listen to the show from a place of curiosity. Jeanette's been a guest on the show before. You may have listened to her and are excited to have her back, or you may be like, huh, I don't really understand, but just listen and let it percolate in your brain because we're going to talk about inspired action. We're going to talk about practicing being happy now, um, self-love, trusting ourselves, and making choices. All really good stuff about about creating the life that you want and how it's possible to do it that way. And we have different things and we don't always agree on stuff, but I think it's a great conversation and it was so much fun to have my friend Jeanette back. So thanks for listening and I will circle back afterwards. Jeanette, hello and welcome back. I cannot say how excited I am to be here, Corinne. I'm loving this. I just, it's been too long. It's been too I long. I agree. All right. So today we're going to talk about inspired action and following our highest excitement without expectation. And then also what happens when those gremlins show up and because the success isn't there. So I'm excited to have your viewpoint on this. Oh, they're great topics. <laughs> so inspired action. You know, we hear that a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Like, follow your bliss, do what feels good. And for a lot of people, I think it's challenging to trust, first of all, to trust inspired action. And then there's a second challenge in to know what it is. Um, And even when we are super clear about how inspired action fits into the whole scheme of building a successful life and how to recognize what it is, it can still be challenging for us to follow through on it because most of us get so many messages about the only way to succeed in life is to work hard, pay your dues, roll up your sleeves, nose to the grindstone kind of stuff. And with that programming on board, it can make some people feel really uncomfortable focusing and prioritizing on what they enjoy, (laughs) especially when there's no clear connection between this goal that I want and this thing that sounds like fun. Mm, Yes. Let's talk about that. Because in the American world, right, it's, it's in our culture, not the American world, but in our culture, our current culture throughout the world is work hard, work hard, suck it up and overcome. And and then we're thinking always, well, if I'm taking action, it has to be in line with this end result that I want. Right. I mean, and a lot of, shoot, we pay a lot of experts to tell us 
what the formula for sex is, for success is, the prescribed steps for how to get where we want to go. And if you're not doing that, then you're not working the plan and you better not count on success because everyone knows it requires these things. But that's not actually how the system works. The way this, the way it's set up, and there are so many teachers who have such a great way of explaining it, but I'm a huge fan of the way Bashar talks about it. And it's very much in alignment with the teachings of Abraham, which is um, another source I rely on heavily for getting this stuff right. But Bashar talks about how <laughs> all you have to do is, is follow your highest excitement. Like in wh- whatever moment you find yourself, look around for what sounds like the most fun, what's the most enjoyable. Or if we're in a fairly dark place, the question might best be asked, what would offer me the most relief? But whenever we ask ourselves, where our joy is or where the fun or the feel good is, as long as we are following that, Bashar teaches that we are on the direct path to our highest success. And a lot of people aren't going to be down with that plan because everyone knows that in order to, oh, say you wanted to build a successful business, in order to build a business, you've got to do some very, um, uh, clear things in in order to do that it might include if it's a retail store you got to get a location if it's a if it's online work you got to get a website i mean everyone knows the things you're supposed to do in order to do this but bashar's teaching and many other teachers say that we're way better off if we just follow our inspiration follow our highest excitement follow your bliss because when we do that we're in the vibration of excitement and joy and love and happiness. And that's where good things happen to us because everything that exists is energy. So in order for us to experience something, we have to be the a vibrational match to it because like attracts like. So I can't be discouraged or depressed or upset and expect fabulous things to be unfolding in my world because I get what I vibrate. So that's why the formula makes sense that when we follow our highest excitement, good things unfold because that vibration of joy and happiness and love and excitement, it doesn't get any better than that. And that makes us a fabulous vibrational match to all the things that we want, including the practical goals we have that um, that might seem like, you know, everyone else has a different plan for how to get there. I don't think I described that very well. Did that make sense? No, it does make sense. And I'm trying to think about... so. You know, if we want to, um, I'm trying to think of like a way to make it more concrete for people. But I got one. Go. Yeah. So I was building my coaching practice and mm-hmm. every coach knows <laughs> what you're supposed to do in order to do that. First of all, you tell everyone you know that you're a coach. You probably set up a website since most coaches have that. You create packages and price points and business cards and probably newsletters and you do speaking events and you just get visible however you can, right? Everyone knows how you go about building a business. And when I tuned in with my highest excitement, more often than not, what it said to me, I'd say 80% of the time, my what felt good to me was to go on a dog walk. And that didn't make any sense to me other than I understood how the system worked. But my muggle mind was like, how is going on a dog walk going to help me get any clients? And I needed clients. This wasn't, a, it's not like I was financially independent and could afford for this thing to fail. I needed it to work. But when I checked in on what sounds good next, the answer I got time and time and time again was go on a dog walk. Not just any dog walk. 
an off-leash dog walk up the canyon. And in order to do that, that was like a four-hour event. I mean, that was a big chunk of the day. And I'd be up there in the canyon enjoying myself, loving it. There isn't anything I love more than a dog walk in nature. That's ultimate bliss for me. But I'd be up there and I'd be thinking, shouldn't you be in the office doing something, quote-unquote, productive? But I understood the system. I'd worked it many times before for many other goals, and I knew to trust it. And I was very clear. My inspiration was very clear about going on a dog walk. So I did a lot, a lot, a lot of dog walks while I was building my business. I also got other inspirations. Every once in a while, what sounded good was to go rollerblading with my girlfriend at the park or to go to lunch with dad. One time, my inspiration was to have someone build me a website because I didn't know how to do it myself. So I hired a girl to build me a website, and she did. She built me an absolutely beautiful website. And um, I believe this is long before. I didn't know you're supposed to drive traffic to a website. I didn't know any of that stuff. I just believed I was naive enough, and I love being naive. I believed that if I had a website, people would find it and hire me. So I had a girl doing some work for me, but um, all my time was pretty much spent going on dog walks. And the way things unfolded for me, in hindsight, I can see this with a lot of clarity that I didn't have at the time. Because at the time, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Why does my inspiration keep telling me to go on dog walks? But that's what was the highest joy for me. So I did it. In hindsight, what I understand now is that I was out of corporate world and um, I had burned out there. I was in a dark place. <laughs> I had not had a good time those last several years in corporate world. I mean, my body was physically rebelling. I, I had illnesses that doctors couldn't explain. I'd had a really, really rough go. And, um, and that's where my vibration was. That's what I'd been practicing for so long was being miserable. So these inspirations to go on dog walks, in hindsight, I recognize that was universe reconditioning my vibration, reorienting me to joy and happiness, right? Because how am I going to have success as a life coach if I'm depressed and discouraged? And that's what I was after having been at that corporate party for longer than I should have been. So long story short, I do a lot of freaking dog walks and um, a girl builds me a website and sure enough, I start getting hired. I wasn't doing any other stuff. None of the other stuff sounded good to me. So I didn't do any of it. I didn't do any speaking. I didn't distribute any newsletters or business cards. And I sure didn't tell anyone what I was doing because I was afraid it wasn't going to work and it would be really embarrassing if this failed. So no one, I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. I never talked about it. I was really relying on a website to bring me business. And sure enough, I did get hired. In three months, I had a full-time practice, and I was a little cocky about it. I was like, what do all these coaches think? That's so hard. That wasn't so hard. And um, <laughs> what happened over time was that I wanted a change made to my website, and my the girl that had built it for me wasn't responding, so I had to hire another guy for help. And he said, oh, yeah, I can tell why she's not writing you back. She's using a template that doesn't allow you you to do this thing you want it to do, but I know how to fix it. So he did it for me. And he's speaking Greek to me. I don't understand any of this. And um, after he does the work for me and I'm paying him, he says to me, um, by the way, do you realize your website's invisible? And I said, what? What do you mean my website's invisible? He said, uh, search engines can't see this. It's a flash site. And I knew it was a flash site because she told me that. She said, oh yeah, I'll build you a flash site because I wanted pretty music and pictures like hers. It was beautiful. But I didn't know what a flash site meant. Apparently, uh, if you don't put coding in a site that is all pictures and music, search engines don't know what it is. So it would never know to send traffic to my site. People would could Google, 
life coach in Utah and they would never find me because my site didn't have any coding. It's basically invisible, he said to me. This is, um, I like this story for a variety of reasons. One, it shows the power of belief that um, I believed people would see my site and they would hire me. And somehow I was getting hired. I never ask anyone where they heard about me because I believed that's the question that newbies ask. <laughs> I didn't ever <laughs> want to be perceived as someone who was new at this. So I never asked them. All I could figure is they must have been sent from angels or were angels themselves. I don't know. But that the website isn't what got me the business. What got me the business was the vibrational reconditioning to joy. I believe that's why when they say, follow your highest excitement, the reason that is so effective is because it puts us in alignment with everything that we want. So, um, I, was that a good example? No, that was a good example. You know, one of the things that I, so I'll share with is that, you know, and I don't do this so much anymore, but uh, when I was, especially when my show was newer and, you know, starting out and I would seek out somebody to be a guest on my show, somebody, you know, who may be high profile person, I would notice so you use the word vibration. I use where am I rooted? Like where am I? Where, mm-hmm. And it's the feeling mm-hmm. state, right? Yep. And exactly. so where am I rooted? Because I always think about like, you know, if I'm a garden and things are growing, if I'm rooted in shame or fear, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. can grow, but it's mm-hmm. not very great. And so I would, I would check into that. And if I had fear or, you know, doubt, which as you know, I can have a lot of that, um, I wouldn't reach out at that point. And, but when I could change and when I was in that place where I was confident or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, Hey, look, I was excited. Like you want to be a part Mm -hmm. of my show. Here you go. (laughs) And I would send an email and, you know, nine times out of 10, they would say, Oh yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) Right. That is such a great example. I love that question. Where am I rooted? You know, really tuning into that to, to discover where are you coming from energetically? Because that's what's coming next. Wherever you're, I call it plugged in or dialed in wherever whatever I'm flowing, I've got more coming. And that's why inspired action is so powerful because when we do what feels good, we're becoming the vibration that allows good things to follow. Ooh, when we're doing what feels good, we're allowing. Yeah, we become the vibration that not just allows, but requires good things to follow. There's no way I can be out having a fabulous time, loving life, enjoying myself, doing what feels good, and not experience more of that. In fact, um, this is I had a business partner. This might sound odd, but I had a business partner uh, years ago. And the way that she would get new clients in her business was she would clean out a drawer or a closet that might sound kind of insane. What does organization have anything to do with getting new business? But for her, it, it felt fabulous. Whenever she would organize, she got a huge hit off of that. It was like a little high, right? And I think a lot of people could relate to that. It feels really good to you know, clean out the basement or organize the garage, something like that. She'd just do a little drawer, though, super easy, or reorganize the pantry. That sort of thing gave her just enough of a feel-good to let a new client in. It was so reliable for her that um, th- that was her client attraction method. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like to, I still go on a lot of dog walks. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> if I find myself starting to get attached about some results with my business or in my personal life or even with my health, whenever I feel myself starting to get kinky energy flowing, when I'm, when I'm rooted in something that isn't fabulous, if I just put a leash on one of the dogs and we even just walk around the block. Oh my gosh, that is such a powerful reset for me. I think that's why it's helpful for us to know ourselves and to, and to be willing to prioritize what we enjoy. Because again, so many think 
that success is about doing the hard work and following the formula in order to get there. But if we leave joy out of that, I promise you, this is something I learned from Abraham. I love this reminder. Unhappy journeys do not have happy endings. We cannot suffer or struggle our way to the version of success. When we imagine success, I believe most of us are imagining more than just financial abundance. We're imagining rewarding work and enjoying that work and having the impact on the world that we want it to be. I mean, we probably have, there's a lot of elements that go into that success besides just making the money. But I know some people can land on what looks from the outside like someone's success, but it's total misery for them because they don't know the vibration of enjoyment. So this is, it's, it's an important thing to know, and it can be challenging to trust when we've been conditioned and programmed so strongly to suffer our way to success, which absolutely does not work. Well, that suffering our way to success is so ingrained. It's deeply programmed yeah. in our culture. It's like, okay, let me suffer and struggle through this. And then when I retire, I can be happy. But the other side, like the way I, the way I term it is, you have to practice happy now. That yes. way, when you get there, you know what happy is. Because Absolutely. if you've been practicing suffering for 30, 40 years, how would you know you to do different? Know. Yeah, you could even have all the trappings of what we think happiness and success looks like and still not experience it that way because we have not practiced that vibration. You know, there's another interesting thing about this, which is when, um, you know, s- sometimes our inspiration it it calls us to things that might look like hard work to someone else, but to us, it's complete bliss and joy. Like, um, I'm thinking of athletes. That's actually a good example, don't you think? Like, yes. when um when they're doing what they love, it might look like spending a lot of time in the gym, or when uh, for me, for example, I'm I'm all about conscious creation and manifesting. I study a lot of these materials. That's joyful for me. It's not hard work. If someone looked at my library and knew that I'd read all of these things like three times, they might be like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of freaking work. It was joyful for me. There were times when I was building my business when um, I'd get excited about something I was working on and I'd stay up until one in the morning and have to tear myself away from the desk to go get some sleep just because I loved what I was doing so much. So sometimes inspired action, what feels best might look like someone else's version of hard work. You are the only one who knows. No one else can tell you what your joy is. (laughs) That's why it's kind of ridiculous to follow someone else's formula. Well, and then when you think about like this idea of, you know, inspired action and what is the thing that's going to vibrate, right? So for me, it's like, what will get me rooted into that place where then when I take action, because then like with the Mm -hmm. example of reaching out to somebody, then I can, if I'm confident, if I'm rooted in confidence, then I can take action and, Mm -hmm. and I'm okay with the space in between waiting (laughs) for the email because that, that's the other reality is that, you know, in this transactional world that we live in, you know, you go to Google and you get this immediate response, when you send out an email, when you reach out to somebody, it may not happen. So then that's where there can be a lot of those triggers. That's a, You're exactly right. And that's where a lot of people, the whole plan falls apart for them when reality doesn't immediately reflect what they want. Mm-hmm. And and there can be, it's in, in conscious creation circles, they call it the buffer of time, where it can take a little bit until we start to see the results from following our joy. But Not really if you think about it in this terms. I like how Abraham describes that the first manifestation is the emotion, is the feeling. So if we look at it in terms of that, whenever I follow, whenever I take inspired action, because it has inspiration woven throughout it, I'm enjoying it. I'm having fun. It's my idea of a good time. That is the first 
manifestation, my emotional experience of it. That's what tells me I'm on the right track, more of this. And the way Bashar describes it, for, for anyone who's still wondering how this works, the way De- Bashar talks about following your highest excitement as far as you can and, you know, to, to its, till it feels complete. And then once it's complete, follow your next highest excitement. I, I actually wrote about this recently where I used the video of, I'm sure everyone's seen this, it's, it's viral, of the little kid who's walking, the big dog, and the little mm-hmm. kid hits the little puddle, puts the dog leash down so he can run through the puddle a couple of times. Then he picks his leash back up and goes, that was a, a perfect example of little inspiration. He felt like running through the puddle and he did it until he was done running through the puddle. And then he goes on with his day. Um, but to be able to do that without attachment, without expectation, we're doing it for the joy of it, knowing that joy is what serves us best. As long as we keep following those inspirations and those nudges and those inner intuitions, we'll find ourselves on the direct path to a very easy, effortless success. Well, and the other part of that video that I love so much is that little boy was probably two mm-hmm. and he let go of the leash of this big dog. And the dog and the dog just waited. It's like, it was okay, so the dog is like, okay, apparently he, this kid needs to go through this. And he waited. And then when the kid was done, he came back and grabbed the leash. And, yeah. you know, being connected in that way, knowing, you know, there's maybe some, the dog thinking, okay, I, part of my job is to be the companion of this kid, right? Mm-hmm. That the protecting, even though the, the, the boy is holding the leash, which is supposed to be controlling, right? And the kid's like, right. I don't need to control this dog. <laughs> the dog will wait and I'm going to go take care of. It. And I think, we so often we think we have to control, and I can get stuck with this. Control every aspect, yeah, of well, everything. And there's another example of that, another inspiration from that example, which is that it wasn't the dog's highest inspiration to run through the puddle. <laughs> so even if someone else is having a great time with something, we don't have to do it just because they are. If we have a different inspiration, it's important that we follow our own. Which is why I get so frustrated when I see law of attraction savvy experts telling people what to do. You know, when that thing, what to do is, oh, go do speaking. Oh, go do joint ventures or blog. I mean, anyone who understands vibration and energy and how it contributes to what we create in our life knows we don't know what someone else should be doing. Only they know what it is when they tune in to listen to their inspiration, to whatever's most fun or exciting to them. There's another challenge with this too, Corinne, and that's when someone is like so far away from happiness, joy, or excitement, or feeling good that they can't even get a whiff of it. Like, you know, in it might be depression, it might be discouraged, it might be hopeless, it might be pessimistic. Sometimes when we're in that kind of vibrational territory, it's we're not going to get an answer to the question, what's my highest excitement? So again, as I mentioned earlier, what the question I like to ask in those moments is, what feels like relief? What would feel better? There are different ways you can ask it that will lead you down the same path. And it might not, excitement might not be the best word to describe it. It might be relief or something like that. Well, especially if you're not used to living in that, I call it the neighborhood. Like what neighborhood do you live in? Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you're used to the bad feeling neighborhoods, I call that the ghetto. If you're used <laughs> to that, then, you know, like my example would be, um, so I've used different ones. Like if you live in, you know, maybe East Palo Alto, Stanford, Stanford's not that far, but it can be really, really hard mm. to cross the freeway. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, when you're in that negative emotion state so much and you're really, really good at that and that suffering and that struggle. And I know that I can do, I could do that. It may be just being um, more calm or it may be mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm sad, mm-hmm. but I can let go of 
the depression, you know, the, and I'm mm-hmm. not, and again, we're not talking about medical stuff, but these different, mm-hmm. these negative feeling states that we can have. You know, I agree with that one of the most powerful things we can do when we're there is to allow it. Cause if we resist it, whatever we resist persists and pushing against it just empowers it. So just allowing it can be really transformational for getting into a new neighborhood. You know what I love as we're talking about this, it reminds me of Martha Beck's exercise. You might, I might be remembering this wrong. So correct me if, if you understand it differently, but you know how she asks people to make a list of everything they're going to be doing over the next week, you know, like not just the things that go on the to-do list that you have to remind yourself about, but everything that you're planning on doing over the next seven days, make a list of it. And then for each item, you, you're going to rate Uh, each item on your list from a negative 10 to positive 10 with negative 10 being this is pure torture my idea of a living hell and positive 10 being this is absolute bliss it doesn't get any better than this for me so after she has you rate every item on your list her challenge is for you to eliminate everything that falls below a positive eight when (laughs) when i do this exercise with some people they don't even some people don't even have stuff that even is rated in that positive territory and i think that just goes to show how often we orient our lives towards the work and the struggle and the obligations and the shoulds and the supposed tos rather than what we truly enjoy. Oh, that is a really good, what is it about enjoyment and why we think we can't have it or don't deserve it? Unworthiness. I think that's exactly it. And this was drummed into us from when we were teeny weeny. It's a super common parenting technique where Parents withhold approval until we change a behavior, whether it's eating our vegetables or being nice to our sister or making our bed or doing our homework. Until we do what we're supposed to do, we don't get the smile or the reward. And so we learn that there's something wrong with us and we have to change in order to be worthy of that love and approval. So it's wired in from a very, it's just, they were just doing, our parents were just doing what they were trained to do. I mean, this is how society raises kids. I mean, I know not everyone, but for a large majority of us, that's what we experienced. And so that programs us with a sense of unworthiness that until we change, until we perform, we don't deserve it. And it's not true. But I think consciously reprogramming can be really helpful for allowing ourselves to engage a life of joy. And how do you reprogram? Self-love, tons and tons of self-love, <laughs> the way in, in thought and in action. I mean, just because it's our truth, it's the truth of who we are and and it's easier to get back to that than it was to get brainwashed out of it. But I think a deliberate practice is called for. I'd like to hear your ideas, though. What would you suggest for regaining that sense of worthiness? Well, so one is, is always unpacking what are the stories in our head about ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To, to find out like what it is. Because I think so often, I mean, you and I can talk about our beliefs and we know the stories so well because we're so attuned to that. But some of the listeners out there, they may not. They may not even realize because it's mm-hmm. such unconscious programming that has gone in. They haven't even realized like to check in to say, well, is this really true? You know, one of the things it's true. I, I talk about lately is um, having the Karen filters or the Jeanette filters. So somebody says something, but then taking it through your own filters of saying, okay, well, how does this work for me? Right. Mm-hmm. And it does this, does this apply to me? And so we may have this belief of, again, this cultural belief of, you must sacrifice and work really hard and have struggle. And then once everything is taken care of, then you can have joy. But if you take it through the current filters, like, okay, when I live my life that way, how do I feel? You know, do I have joy? 
or is my life a constant uphill mm-hmm. battle? Mm-hmm. You know, and is that why I'm constantly exhausted? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that was why I was constantly exhausted because I believe that because it's like, you know, oh, and as we know, there's always going to be more stuff coming down the pipeline. It doesn't just end. It's true. Right? So <laughs> I love that, the Corinne filter. You know, and I think that's actually where midlife crises come from too because, you know, for all of, so much of our life, we've worked towards this stuff that was supposed to be the big reward and we get there and there's, there's no joy there because we haven't been practicing joy mm-hmm. and it will throw some people for a loop, you know, mm-hmm. really questioning what they've built their life on and what it's all about and... Yeah, it could be scary territory. <laughs> yeah, and in in you know that whole midlife crisis gets such a bad rap to it. But like when we can go back into our own our own filters, like I just did this interview with an actor, and she's also writing this cookbook, and you know she had to put a medical disclaimer in there. The publisher made her do that, mm-hmm. and um, she goes, "Well, I know that I'm a I'm allergic to macadamia nuts, so if there's a recipe that calls for it, I don't put it in." And I said, but so often now, people don't take things through their own filters. They want to mm-hmm. do it right because they mm-hmm. don't think they're smart enough to understand a recipe. Well, right. And, we, and we've been trained from the very beginning to listen to someone else's guidance rather than our own, right? We, first, mm-hmm. it was listened to parents. Then it was listened to teachers. Then it's listened to bosses. And sometimes we get a spouse that we got to listen to, too. But it's always not – no one teach. that's not true. Some parents do teach us but I'd love to see more of it where we are taught from a very young age that we know best for ourselves because when we trust that inner guidance, I mean, I believe it's a direct connection with source that steers us towards everything that we want when we learn to listen to it and honor it. Mm-hmm. And be willing to make mistakes, right? Cause you sometimes yeah. you need to go and test it out and experiment and then reflect on it and say, okay, I did this. What, you know, how did that feel? Like, cause you have this inspired <laughs> yep. action to go walk with your dogs in the Canyon and you have this belief of how it's going to be, but maybe it's like a disaster, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe it's stressful and you come back and you're more stressed out. So you you unpack that and go, okay, here's what I thought. Here was the reality. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe it's not, not the not walking of the dogs. Maybe it's a different look, you know, whatever it may be, right? right? But you tweak it and then and you learn how to trust yourself because I think you're so right. I think we've learned to not, to not trust ourselves and to trust yeah. somebody else. Yep. And, and I mean, we spend a lot of money. We spend a lot of time listening to others when I think it would, I think Bashar's right when he says, follow your highest excitement. That's the way to go. And to do that is really disruptive. (laughs) You will not get a lot of people approving of that plan if you uh, tell others about it or if they get a load of what you're up to, because that's, that's not how we are trained to go through life. And you know, like, it, the word excitement can be a trigger for some because mm-hmm. they haven't practiced that. It's true. Right? It's true. And especially if, you know, we've just been worn down by life. I mean, we don't have the capacity for excitement. We need a break first. Like someone's highest excitement might be a nap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, that that counts. Any Whatever feels better, that's the direction you want to go because you're engaging the vibrations that allow the successes, all the dreams and the goals and the desires that have been elusive. You are opening yourself up to them whenever you do what feels best. That includes as not just in action, but also in thought. I mean, if we, if we go after that in both ways, that's a powerful way to transform a person's life. Well, so there's two things that come up for me when we're talking about this excitement. One is, um, the, 
if you are used to being in that negative feelings and then you numb it, right? Because we mm-hmm. run away, we we yeah. ha- in food, like with a lot of my clients, in mm-hmm. food, we numb ourselves, drinking, Netflix, whatever, busyness, yeah. right? Work, we numb ourselves. So if you numb the bad feelings, you numb the good feelings. Mm-hmm. And that's an important thing to remember. So that's why we don't want to numb. And then the other is that, um, like for me, I think one of the things I had to give myself permission was really love what I love. I mean, one of the things that I love to do is talk with people. I love it. It's like, my, so you love to walk your dogs in a canyon. I go hiking to talk with people. Right on. I don't go hiking to look at the birds, right? So in, in being okay with your authentic self and what lights you up. For me, yep. you know, my Friday morning coffee dates, I love that. That's like a fun <laughs> part of my week. For my husband, that would be death. <laughs> I love how different we each are and how powerful it is for us to know ourselves, right? Like to go on a little joy treasure hunt and to know what it is that lights us up, what we love about life and to prioritize it. Mm-hmm. Which is why I love that exercise from Martha Beck. I love the idea. I'm not there yet myself. I'd love to get more deliberate about this though, instead of just expecting it'll happen one day. But I'd love to live just an eight plus life, you know, where there's nothing even sevens don't even make it into my day. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that yeah, it would be amazing. It would be it amazing. Would, I agree. I want to circle back to when you talked about self-love because I just saw this quote from Pima Ch- uh, Chodron. Mm. And the quote is, right now, can you make an unconditional relationship with yourself just at the height you are, the weight you are, with the intelligence that you have and your current burden of pain? Can you enter into an unconditional relationship with that? Mm, goosebumps. You know, and I, and I, you know, so when you ask about self-love, I think that's what it's about for me. It's that mm-hmm. unconditional, like be good with who I am right now in this mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, it's, yeah, right. It's not like we engage a self-improvement routine in order to become lovable. We recognize we already are and we practice loving it like it is right here, right now. And if there's something that you don't love, like, I don't know if maybe you're a smoker and you're ashamed of it, or if there's something about your life that really truly isn't lovable, then yes, make that change. But I think the more powerful approach to this is to do exactly what what's inherent in the quote that you shared. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, I I think that's what we're all shooting for. I think that return to love, that return to feeling worthy, that return to knowing the truth of who we are is what fuels all of our desires in life. So if we just give ourselves that gift, hello, home free. Mm-hmm. So how do you do, how do you practice self-love? Mm. Well, as a matter of fact, at my, um, at Good Vibe University, we're doing this together this month where we are practicing eye to eye in the mirror. I, I understand, and I don't mean nude in the mirror. Sometimes when women are practicing body love, that's a very common technique. But I, this is what I learned from Jack Canfield when he suggested looking yourself like at night after you, doing it once a day. So after he brushes his teeth, he'd look at himself <laughs> in the mirror, eye to eye, and he would say something nice to himself. Like the same way he would to one of his kids or a valued employee, he would just say a couple of nice things to himself. The, the key being eye to eye in the mirror. And um, a lot of people find that really confrontational because it's ju- it just makes them uncomfortable. But that's the practice that we've been engaging this month. And I feel it really powerful. And I make a lot of progress when it something magical about eye to eye. I don't know what that is. But there are fabulous ways to practice it that can be um, maybe not as challenging. Like 
uh, writing a list of appreciation about yourself. In fact, um, what's the guy's name? Vishen, what's his name? The Mind Valley guy. He has a six-phase meditation that he, he offers people. And in one of the phases, it is to list things that you appreciate about yourself. That in itself can be a powerful way to amp up the self-love factor. Um, and I also like just letting my joy, my inner child, have her way in the day. Like, I'm not all about getting the work done and, okay, meeting everyone's expectations and doing everything that I don't, I don't believe in obligations. And I don't, that's not how I orient my day. I orient my day with the question, what would be fun next? Or what would feel fabulous now? So that feels like self-love to me, to ask myself, my true self, what would be fun next? And to say yes to that. I'm a fan. Okay, so here, here's where my little gremlin's coming up. I'm like, okay, but what about taxes, right? I mean, who really loves to do their taxes or get them done? So we, there's even if, like, I have somebody that's doing my taxes, but I still have to prepare the stuff. That's worth questioning. I know people who, I talked to one today. She doesn't file taxes. Guess what? <laughs> She's not in jail. I have a couple of f- personal friends in my life. They don't file taxes. It's optional. It really, truly is optional. I'm not saying that everyone's favorite option will be not to file, but it's not. If we give, as soon as we give ourselves the choice, it already feels better rather than approaching it as something that we have to do. Like, for example, maybe a single mom, maybe her favorite thing is not to cook dinner every day for the kids. Maybe it's not. Maybe what she'd rather do is not feed them. Maybe, maybe she'd rather let someone else feed them. I bet a neighbor would. (laughs) Grandma might come over, bet someone else will make dinner. I mean, there are options that we don't often give ourselves, but just when we give ourselves, I actually had a client once who didn't love anything about raising her children. Like the whole experience of motherhood was killing her. And, um, but you got to do it. She said, you got, it's not optional. You got kids, you got to take care of them. So she was, her argument to me was she couldn't do what she enjoyed, which was dancing. She really wanted to dance. That's all she wanted to do. She didn't want to be doing laundry, picking up kids from school. She did not want that. So I asked her to consider possibly giving up the job that she hated so much. Cause I said, you're not doing your kids any favor. If you keep doing this thing, you hate doing whatever you think it's doing for them. It's not. Maybe it's time to give custody to their father, who she admitted was a good dad and who would really, really, really wanted custody of his kids. I suggested that she consider it. Just by giving herself that choice, she's already going to approach motherhood differently. She did actually decide that she was going to give up motherhood and go follow her dream of dancing. But then when it came right down to, um, to it, she... Once she gave herself the choice, I get a little emotional every time I remember her example because she struck me as someone who really, really should not be raising kids. Like she just did not like it in any way, shape or form. But once she gave herself the choice, she did not choose away from her children. Instead, she became a mom who recognized I'm doing this because I love these kids and I wouldn't want anything else for them. I, that, that willingness to, to choose can be transformative and it works on taxes. It works on laundry. It works on dishes, but Hey, (laughs) not everything needs to be done that we think needs to be done. And when we give ourselves that freedom that, you know what, maybe the sheets don't have to be done as often as you've been doing them. (laughs) Maybe you don't have to take a shower as often as you've been. I mean, this stuff is optional. And when we truly choose what we love most, 
it's a, we might be doing the exact same things, but we're doing it with a whole different energy. And I think the key word that you said is the choice. I think so. Right? Because when I think about how I'm going to feel once the taxes are done. Oh, oh God. Corinne, I got to tell you a thing I did on taxes that was uh, freaking amazing. And I, I posted it publicly. I got to find a way. I, I, I'll, I'll get you the link. Give it to me and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I got, I got a guy to record. He's on Fiverr. Uh, he char- I, I paid him five bucks. And he made a recording to encourage me through doing taxes. And, it, and he did it in a sexy voice. <laughs> this is the most delightful thing to hear. I swear to God, that was the smartest thing I ever did. I had hired him to do other work like for clients. Um, and, um, I, and I realized it was tax time. I, I'm not going to go on record for how I manage taxes, but it is not traditional. I will say that. But at this time when, when uh, this was years ago, when I was getting ready to do them, I, um, I had him do me a little recording. I have never had so much fun. I played it several times throughout the process of putting this stuff together and uh, it was joyful. <laughs> it really was. Hey, there's another way to transform our experience of something that we might not be loving, but really feels not optional. And that is to set an intention to experience a core value. Our core values are what we care about most. You know, it's what matters to us. And when we know what those are, if all we did was set an intention to experience it during this thing that we weren't otherwise looking forward to, that will change our experience of it. I practiced this on, um, it was a, a family a family member's funeral. And this was a highly, highly, highly dysfunctional family. So much so, I didn't even want to deal with them. Like it, I was like, there is no way I'm going to, I'm just skipping it. That's all there is to it. Even though it was my grandma. I was like, uh, yeah, not going. And my boyfriend at the time said to me, why don't you do that thing you always tell your clients to do? Tell them to set it an intention to experience a core value to transform your experience of it. And I was like, Oh, what a smart ass, but he was right. So I did, I set an intention to experience. I think it was like learning and connection and um, might've been inspiration. I don't know, but we don't have to figure out how to experience those things. We don't have to work them into the party ourselves. All we have to do, that's the power of intention setting, just set the intention. And so it turned out that I seriously, it was one of the best family gatherings I've ever been to. And it was just this magical thing of how like there was this zigging and zagging where one person would be there, another person wouldn't be. So I would have the most delicious, amazing experience with this one person that everyone else had a hard time with. And, and the, the conversations, I got the best hugs I'd had in years. I mean, it seriously brings tears to my eyes that I almost skipped this thing that, that just a little bit of intentionality around it can change how you're experiencing something you might not have been looking forward to. I did this when I was wrapping up um, my corporate job. I would bring, I would set an intention to experience a core value on the job. And that in itself, in it, that could be something as simple as feeling inspiration to bring a plant to work because nature is one of my core values. That one has not changed over time. Just even having a plant at work made it better. And uh, that, I think that there, it's a lot easier for us to accomplish this than we might think when we're looking at the thing that looks so hard to shift. And frankly, that's where coaches can come in handy too, because they don't have the same obstacles that you are seeing. They're keeping you from making this easier or more enjoyable. I love that. Well, and when I think about, you know, setting an intention to experience my core value, 
right? And so one, I do believe in taxes and I, you know, uh, I like to contribute to my community and, you know, to the government and stuff. I don't agree with how it's all spent, but I like that. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about my taxes and it's just also a good way for me to round up information for myself. And so it's, it's a good practice. So when I can think of it that way, and then the other thing I'm thinking of, cause obviously I have to finish my, top of mind because that's going to be part of my tomorrow <laughs> is, you know, the other thing is how can I make this fun? Mm, right. Exactly. Right. Hello. Get art to give you a little cheerleading session <laughs> recording through the thing. You have a blast. I cannot wait for you to hear it. It is so hilarious. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I really like that about that. Um, so when we, how about, I want to go back to this idea that, you know, when we have these intentions or when we're trying to manifest stuff, but there's no success in sight, Right. And, and then that's when, when we're talking about belief, mm. the beliefs can go wayside because the shame gremlins can come up and say, see, of mm-hmm. course you can't have that. You're mm-hmm. not worthy. You're not good enough. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, Jeanette who can get this or it's just Corinne yeah. who can get this. Who the hell do you think you are? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I, one of the things I like to remember, and you've probably got some great tips to share for that question too, because it is a common one for people to run into. I just heard a story, um, yesterday and she gave me permission to share it on the blog. I haven't posted it yet, but it'll go up soon. But um, our fellow colleague, Cindy Chavez, was, uh, she had a, a Mercedes, an old Mercedes in her driveway that wasn't running it. It was, it was just getting really expensive to fix. It wasn't her primary vehicle and she kept feeling like she should get rid of it, but she didn't want to because she kind of had some attachment to this car. So for like two years, she's, she wants, she's trying to do something, but she just can never bring herself to put an ad in the paper to sell it. But she doesn't really feel good about it sitting out there because she's like, you know, it's bad feng shui to have a car that doesn't run in your driveway. But um, finally, one day she decides that she's going to let it go. And her uh, sweetie comes over to take her to lunch because they have a standing Friday lunch date. And she said, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. Let's go to lunch. But before we go, I am posting a Craigslist ad. I am going to sell this car once and for all. It is time for me to let her go. And he jumps up. He says, Oh, Hey, this was sitting on the, on the windshield when I, when I came in and he hands her a note and it's from a guy who said he's, he'd like to buy her car. And she called him and he came over the next day and he bought it. And it turns out that this guy's been looking at her, at that car for two years, wanting to get his hands on that car. And he just got up the nerve to leave a note on the same day that she decided to let go of it. What I love about that story is that it might not have looked like she was having success during that time, but for two years, here's a guy who's wanting her car. (laughs) And I think there's, it's not unusual for us to not be able to see how the wheels are turning in our favor. And it's easy for us to conclude nothing's happening when the fact is that right now, your dream come true lover is breaking up with his other girlfriend. Right now, you're, someone's writing up a job description for your dream come true job. Right now, someone is deciding to put what's going to be your dream house on the market. It might not look, we, we often don't see it, but when we have faith that it's happening, then we don't make ourselves blind to it when it does. Because the more that we tell ourselves that it's not happening, it's not working, then that's what we're creating. And we will become blind to the signs of success or the things that are happening. In fact, I was just telling someone this morning that I'd say about 15% of my job as a coach is just to help people see what's right under their nose that they don't see. Because they haven't, they, when we tell the story that it's not here, it's going to be invisible to us. Mm-hmm. It's that perceptual blindness. You, yeah, how would you answer that question? Because it's a really good one. Um, 
the space. Well, so for me, what I do with people is I help them when they see no success in sight. One is what are the stories, right? That are getting in the way, going back to what Katie says, Mm -hmm. you know, our minds create our prison walls. What are the stories? And then, um, I would, the gremlins, and then realizing that these are the gremlins and where did, it's usually programming that we got Mm -hmm. at some point in our Mm -hmm. lives. And then it's about the, so when, when you were talking, it was, I wrote down cultivate faith, mm-hmm. right? And that's right. where you have to make the choice to either believe and keep going or you choose to, to quit. But what, you know, what do you want to believe? And it's usually the choice to believe it's going to come is less costly than the choice not to believe. Ooh, I like that. I agree too. Right? And, and I go back to like some, one of the examples I use a lot is Amazon. Right. I buy Mm. stuff from Amazon Mm. and it comes to my house and I order it. And there's not any, there's no drama of is it going to come? Is it not? Is it going to (laughs) get stolen? Is it not? (laughs) Do they like me enough? Did they get my address right? Yeah. We don't, yeah. This is a good analogy. Whereas my mom, you know, and my mom's older and from a different era and she'd probably be less trusting, like, oh my gosh, they're going to steal it. Or remember, like in the 90s, because I was one of Amazon's first customers and, you know, and I have my issues with Amazon, but I was one of their first customers and I remember like everybody's like, you're putting your credit card into their website. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, right? Well, Amazon has my credit cards and stuff. and um, But I don't worry about that. Like I don't spend that mental energy. Now, yes, can fraud happen? Absolutely, right? And so I go back and I check my statements on stuff and, you know, and I notice if there's anything, but not necessarily from Amazon. I'm not saying that, but right. fraud can happen, right? I mean, it happens at the grocery stores. It can happen. So, you know, knowing, I think, what what can happen, but also, like, is that, like, as I talk about mm-hmm. the fraud, I can feel the energy in my body change. It gets tight. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Ha- so the cost to me is great. I'd rather assume that the good thing's going to happen. And when it doesn't, like, if the package, I notice all of a sudden that the package hasn't arrived, then maybe it's time to look at it, you mm-hmm. know, and go find out what's mm-hmm. going on. And, and instead of, like, always preparing for doom and gloom. You know, what What I like about what you're sharing here is it feels like it comes back to choice, you know, a choice to have faith. And what has served me well is that I didn't ask myself to make a blind leap of faith that things would work out just because I expected them to, but because I studied the system and I understand vibration mm-hmm. and energy and attraction and our role in, I mean, this is from the laboratories. This is, the scientists have known this since the freaking 30s. This is not even new, crazy information. This is just working the system the way it's designed to work. So it doesn't require as big a leap of faith for me to expect that when I practice a vibration of what I want, that that's what my reality will become. And plus, hello, I've done it enough that the past experience has built that. It's faith so much that I wouldn't even call it faith. It's like confidence. It's knowing. It's it's beyond belief. It's how it is. I like that recognizing this is just yet again another choice we can make in favor of our well-being and i think it can be that simple when we let it be no it really like that 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 choice what am i going to choose to believe you know in and really believing it without without i mean it's not through pollyannish glasses right for the like the listeners out there like really what am i going to choose to believe and where do i want to focus my energy on i think that becomes so important so I agree. In fact, I, I want to say, ooh, there was, um, um, okay, he has this great quote, Rob Hillman. 
I don't think Pollyanna was simple and naive to reality. I think she was a badass who bent reality to her will. And here's why. <laughs> and he's got this beautiful long post about why Pollyanna was a badass. <laughs> if you Google it, it's really cool. Um, yeah, cool. it, it does. It takes courage to expect good things. When we have been in a world where we have been disappointed or trained to expect the worst, I think it does take strength and, um, and very conscious choice to opt out of the mind think, the group think of our culture that has been conditioned to a different experience of life. Well, I think what you said right here, it takes courage to expect good things because we are so afraid to expect the good things because what's the worst thing that can happen? We can be mm -hmm. disappointed, mm -hmm. right? Maybe we have to redirect. Okay. Well, I mean, we're way more resilient than we think. And, you know, it's also not like I'm a big fan of, you know, sinking into those negative feelings, paying attention to what's the message in here, you know, what, what, what mm -hmm. is the message and then moving through that to the other side you know, mm -hmm. instead of running from it. So when we worry about, oh, I don't want to expect good things because I'll be disappointed. Well, you can handle disappointment. You can handle that. And then it's true. Yeah. That, that fear of disappointment. <laughs> um, I look, I think whenever fear drives us, we're limiting our experience of life. And I think it could be a really cool opportunity to learn how to release attachment, right? When we think that our happiness or our well-being is conditional on X, Y, or Z, that, that's a really good thing for us to get over, to recognize that the external stuff isn't what makes us happy. That's an internal choice. It, happiness really is an inside job. Ooh, that's good. It is. On that note, we will close the show. Well, Jeanette, it went way too fast. <laughs> way mm. too fast. I hope you invite me back again sooner rather than later. Yes. No, you're <laughs> definitely going to be invited back sooner. We need to have more conversations. This was great. So thank you so much. I loved it. Thank you for inviting me to play with you today. All right. I really want you to think about one of the things that you can do is being responsible for the energy you bring into a space. And Jill Bolte-Taylor, who was a guest a long time ago on the show, that's kind of one of her go-to things. You probably heard Oprah talk about it, and that's how she managed Harpo, was thinking about being responsible for the energy you bring into a place because that how we feel can show up, and our feelings are so important. Brene Brown will say, you can't change a behavior until you change a feeling. The feelings come from our beliefs. They do. And so understanding and feeling these feelings and being okay with feeling all of them. We want the whole rainbow of feelings, not just the good ones or the bad ones, right? We want all of them and being able to practice happy, being able to practice calm or confidence and, you know, even excitement for me, like excitement, I'm like, oh, I don't really want that because I don't really want a whole lot of drama either. But being able to be excited and giving myself permission at times, like I don't need to be excited 24 hours a day. That would be exhausting. But allowing yourself, finding those feelings that are really good feelings that are kind of your core. Like Jeanette talked about your core values, and that's a huge amount of work that I do with my clients. But also, what are the core feelings that you like to be in? And get to know that. And your feelings may be different than mine, just like your values may be different than mine. And that's okay. What are they? It's like when I was talking about one of my favorite things to do is to have coffee with friends. Love that. That is my favorite thing to have conversations, to talk about life, the deep stuff, not the shallow stuff. I get bored, not the judgmental stuff. You know, that makes me feel dirty, but the deep stuff, like where there's learning and growth and dialogue, and there can even be disagreement and trying to understand and unpack. I mean, 
I love that. Obviously, I've spent nine and a half years on the air doing that. And then how many years just doing that outside and giving myself permission for that. And whereas my husband, you know, like, why, why would we go to a coffee shop? What would be the pur- purpose of it? You're standing in line for how long? You're going to sit there and talk for how long? And I love him dearly, but that's, he, that's not excitement and joy. You know, his excitement and joy is like to go ha- hike Mount Diablo a couple of times, not once, but a couple. That is not my idea of joy and excitement. And it's okay. We can be life partners and have different things. And I give you that as an opportunity of what brings you joy? You know, what would be fun for you to do? Or like the question that Jeanette asked of what would, you know, what would offer you relief if, if like having those positive feelings all the time is, is uncomfortable and something new is what will offer you relief? What maybe moves you a little bit down the road to a better feeling state? So I really invite you to practice that along with the inspired action and do it as experiments, you know, let go of the attachment, have fun and play with it. And trust me, I, I understand like the play word, you know, I am not known as the swim coach who likes Friday fun day. So the play word can be a trigger for me, but it's like, okay, Corinne, play with it. It doesn't have to be perfect. You know, for me, it's about practicing or experimenting. That's a better word than play because I get stuck because, you know, what is it supposed to look like and all of that. So, but I do invite you to go play with it. And, um, and notice your triggers and then unpack them and move through them and go out and play with this. Okay. Until next time, I'm smiling big for you. And a big shout out to Jeanette and loved having her back on. And then Lizzie Joe from Australia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for leaving an iTunes review. And for those of you that want to leave an iTunes review, here's what I'd love for you to do. Leave the iTunes review, take a picture with your camera and then tweet it to me. I'm at corinnemodokitis.com. Yes, that's a mouthful. Go to my website. You can hit, there's a, twi- there's a Twitter button and you can take you there. But then I could see it. And, um, and then I can see your face too because that, that for me gives, I, it just, I'm a visual person. So I like to see the people there. If you don't have Twitter, that's okay. You can send me an email. I got an email this morning from somebody who left an iTunes review. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And a way to connect with me. I really invite you to sign up for my weekly newsletter. While the podcast here is one arena that we play in together and I may be in your ear and I know while you're cleaning your house, cooking, driving, you know, uh, working out, there's so many different opportunities where you're listening to me and I'm in your head. In another way that we can have more two-way is when you sign up for my newsletter because I do get responses and when my friend uh, passed away, I did get, I wrote about that and I got a lot of emails from you guys. So, so much appreciated. So that's just another way to connect and, uh, Until next time, you guys, I'm smiling big for you. Have a great day. 